This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Good morning. Great to be together. Um, holiday season is upon us, is it not? So uh, we are still in 1 Corinthians today. If you uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3, um, 1 Corinthians 3. Let me uh, make a couple of, just jump on a couple of the announcements that were made earlier, just to em- emphasize as well. Um, I wanted to communicate to you, thank you for everybody who's participated uh, in our Generations Fund pledges for the year. So we're going to have an update on that real soon for you. Uh, but we wanted to give an opportunity just to make sure everybody who's participating has an opportunity to participate. And we say this every year, and it's, it, we really mean it. Um, if you are unable to participate, but you're just praying for the the finances of the church and provision, just fill out a card, put your name on it and say, hey, I'm praying this year, unable to give, praying, whatever it is. If you're a regular attender, a member of the church, uh, that way we'll know. We want to be in this together. Not everybody can do the same thing, but everybody can pray and uh, take ownership. And that also allows our office to know, okay, are we kind of where we are? Are there a lot of cards still coming in? Uh, If you turn a card in, just letting us know that you're praying, uh, that you are uh, unable to give at this point or whatever, just praying. That's great. So we can can know that. And so you can grab those the next week. You could turn it in. We'll have some available for you at the end of the service on the way out in case you haven't grabbed one uh, before. And also, uh, Chauncey mentioned that we're doing baptisms. I want to let you know that's going to be really early in the service, I think after the first song. So if you want to stick around for them, you could just kind of sit in the back. You wouldn't have to stay for the whole singing time even. You could just sit in the back at the second service and uh, we'll sing a song, we'll baptize, and then you, you know, you're uh, free to take off. But uh, if you'd like to be a part of those, we'll be baptizing. I think it's four people. So that's always super, super exciting. Okay, uh, next week we start an Advent series. So we're going to do a four-week Advent series called Peace and just talk about how the Prince of Peace desires to bring peace into our lives, into our families, uh, into our church, and into our world. So uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. So next Sunday will be a uh, big time for us as we prepare for Christmas, and we've got a lot going on this year. We have a couple of Christmas concerts, and uh, so it's going to be a great season. But I just want to let you know, next week we start, start that, so we'll take a pause on 1 Corinthians until the first of the year. This will be the last section. We're going to finish chapter 3 today, uh, 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to finish chapter 3. Uh, and then we are going to uh, go, uh, we'll start in chapter four at the first of the year. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a section at a time. And uh, before I do that, let me just give you what we covered last week. And then we're going to read a section at a time and talk about it as we go through uh, this week. Title is Little Leaders, Big God. It's going to be a message on leadership, a lot to do with leadership and how we relate to leaders, because that's what Paul's talking about. Uh, And it's on page 555. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, uh, under the seat in front of you. You can take that and use it. And if you don't own a Bible, just take that with you. That's our gift uh, to you. So here's what we learned last week is that Paul wrote to the church... uh, and really called them to grow up, to grow up. Uh, he said, you're being very immature, you're acting like infants. Why were they acting like infants? Well, he says, because you are arguing uh, with one another. You're quarreling, chapter 1 says. You have jealousy and strife, we saw last week. In uh, chapter 3, where we looked at verses 1 through 4 last week, look at verse 4 again. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? There he's saying, you're acting like people that don't even have the Holy Spirit, have never become 
become Christians uh, because you are arguing with one another. Uh, so maturity would be to hear the message that Paul preached of Christ and him crucified, and from that, uh, have the Lord change your heart and make some, make some responses like this, building unity together, being thankful for one another, uh, caring for one another, serving one another, living in humility and not arrogance and strife. So they're mature, immature because when they hear the work of the word of the gospel, they don't respond uh, in an appropriate way. And uh, so he has told them to, gr- thank you, he has told them to grow up. And now we're going to look at the next section. So remember, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. That's what we just read in verse 4. Look at verse 5. And uh, listen here. This is the word of God to us. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this passage today, we pray that you would help us have a higher view of what you do and a lower view of what people do. We pray that we would see truly what the message is that we're to center our lives on. We pray that you would convict us where, where our hearts are in a, in a wrong place and you would grant us a gift of repentance to come and, and credit you with your work, to worship you and not people, uh, to rely on you and depend on you and not make idols of others. So Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would give us your view and of leadership, and I pray for those who are leaders, Lord, that you would help us to see, uh, Lord, to hold the callings that we all have uh, with fear and trembling, that we may humble ourselves and fear you in what you've called us to do. Lord, hold up Jesus before us today to see him in power and glory, we pray, and it's in his name we ask this. Amen. Once every 10 years, I have a clever outline. I am terrible at titles, I'm terrible at outlines. I just want to tell you that. But when you only once every 10 years have a good outline, you kind of feel good. And so uh, this is the outline for for this whole chapter three. Get ready, because this only happens once a decade. (laughs) So mark this down. Some of you will want to get a tattoo of this. It's that powerful. For sure, it'll be on T-shirts and bumper stickers. So here's how the chapter works out. And this really isn't forced. I think this is how it really works out. Verses one through three, four, we looked at last week. That was grow up. The next five verses that we just read are look up. The next ones after that are wake up. And then the final section is wise up. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, if, yeah, I just, I don't think, I don't do sermons that it's like purpose, plan, proposition, all peace. I don't do any of that stuff. I'm not good at that. So when I have something that's kind of memorable uh, and, and I'm just ruining it because I'm already excited about myself and the whole passage is about don't be excited about any leader ever. So uh, there you go. I'm just uh, undercutting the message I'm about to preach to you. So we looked at grow up. Now let's talk about look up. What he's saying is get your eyes off your leaders because they are advocating their leaders. They're dividing up among their leaders. He's saying get your eyes off your leaders and look up to the God of your leaders. Look up to the God of Paul, the God of Apollos, as opposed to elevating them. And I think this passage that we just read, this section says a couple things. The first thing it says is leaders 
are less important than you think. Leaders are less important than you think. Look what Paul says. What is Apollos? Verse 5. What is Paul? Servants. I, I think the implication is only servants. Merely servants. Are they someone to glorify? Should we be glorifying Paul? I mean, Paul says earlier, I, I didn't die for anybody. You weren't baptized in my name. So should we glorify? Are we someone to glorify, he's saying? Are we someone, Paul's saying, am I someone that you should be promoting so that you can win an argument against somebody else in the church? He's saying, is I, am I someone that you should idolize so that you feel right about your position and your way of doing things? They're all identifying with leaders to selfishly promote themselves. He's saying, am I, am I someone to, to hold up in some kind of glorious fashion? No, not at all. He says, we are servants. And he goes on and he describes what kind of servants they are. He says in uh, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. So he says, I'm a specific kind of servant. Think of me as a farmhand. That's what I am. I'm a guy that planted seeds. I'm a worker on a farm. Another guy came out, Apollos, and he watered that. So he was, he was in charge of the irrigation. I did the planting. He did the irrigation. Uh, but that's what we are. We're, we're, think of us as scattering seeds. Don't think of us as celebrities, Paul is saying. Don't, don't think of us as rock stars. I'm not your team's mascot. I am of Paul. Don't come out with a big P and a P on your sweatshirt and, you know, uh, like, like you're rallying around me. So Paul's saying, I'm not branding myself. I'm not promoting myself. I'm not marketing myself. I'm not seeking to expand my platform. I'm, I'm a guy out there sweating in the heat of the day, planting seeds. And the other guy that you're enamored with, he's just going to come by and water them. That's all we are doing. We're servants in the fields. And so look up to the Lord and realize that leaders are less important than you think. I, I like the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases uh, this section. This is written in a book called The Message. I prefer to call it Eugene Peterson's paraphrase because that's what it is. It's just one guy paraphrasing the Bible in a book that's called The Message. But here's how he does this section. He says part of it. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the plants, but God made you grow. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters who is at the center of this process, but God who makes things grow. Planting and watering are menial servant jobs at minimum wages. What makes them worth doing is the God we are serving. You happen to be God's field in which we are working. So he's saying, I like his paraphrase, we are out doing, you need to think of us as being people who are doing uh, sort of a minimum wage farmhand type of job. But what makes this so wonderful is the God for whom we're doing this. He is the one that brings the changes. So leaders are planting and watering, but it, I love that paraphrase. We are not at the center of the process, but God is. God is at the center of the process. So look up, leaders are less important than you think. 
Now, in another way, I think the passage teaches that leaders are more important than you think. Consider verse 5. He says, we are servants through whom you believed. So he's saying the process that I'm involved in is not rock star, amazing, it's planting seeds. However, through our planting of seeds, something significant happened. You met Jesus. It's through our work that you came to believe. So a leader who brings the gospel plants seeds. A leader who who comes later and waters the gospel is one who cares for the church, who teaches and counsels and helps bring application and supports and corrects and encourages and strengthens the church. So he's saying someone else came and does that. Uh, but, but it's God who brings the growth. It's God that caused you to believe when the seed was planted, and it's God that's helping you grow now that you believe. So God may be using someone, but it's ultimately him. However, God is using people. He goes on to say in verse 5 that we are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So this is important. He's saying, yeah, I'm just planting seeds, merely planting seeds, only planting seeds. However, this is assigned by God Almighty. God, the, the maker, the creator of the universe, assigned me this role. And so it's important and it's valuable. And God assigned someone else a role of watering. So that's important because God is going to use those people to bring growth. God only, God only brings the growth, but God in his mercy chooses to use people. I mean, it's amazing that God would use any of us. But he's saying he, he, God uses people. And so Paul's role and Apollos' role is not near what they think it is, but it is valuable. It is strategic in the life of the church. But it's ultimately God that brings the growth. God, God leaders, every, every person is indispensable. Only God is, uh, is uh, I'm sorry, every leader, every person is dispensable, but only God is indispensable. That is, only God's required, only God is necessary. But he chooses to use people. Paul's making the point, however, that the, the people are not indispensable. Previous president of uh, France, Charles de Gaulle, once said, the graveyards are full of indispensable men. Graveyards are full of people we could not live without, and yet we live, and the church goes on because God is faithful. He uses leaders to water and plant, but the growth is his doing. So leaders are less important than we think, perhaps, but leaders are also perhaps more important than we think because they are used strategically by God, and God is ultimately important. Neither he who plants, verse 7, nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Only God gets the glory. Only God gets the glory. And when we get that clear, the church is unified. Certainly the Corinthian church would be. Because look what he says. This is, this is powerful. He says in verse 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Look at verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So he's saying it'd be unifying. If you were not saying I am of Paul and I am of Apollos, but if you were saying God did it all, Thank God for Paul who brought us uh, the word. We're thankful for Paul. Thank God for Apollos who came and watered it. They were both on the same team doing the same thing, 
under God who did it all. That would be the appropriate attitude. And if they had that attitude, we wouldn't have the Paul group and the Apollos group separated and arguing. We'd say, God is everything. Look up. He is everything. He used these two different people. I'm thankful for both of them in different ways. I respect them both, grateful for them both, but I'm worshiping and glorifying God alone, the one who is indispensable. They did their part. It's just, they're just planting seeds and watering. That would be unifying because they are one, and so we are one. God is building his church. He's building his people. He's watching over his word. He's saving lost people through the scattering of seed. And he's growing up saved people through the, uh, through the watering, through the planting, and then through the watering. He is using servants, but he's using them. He is the one who brings the growth. So how do we think about that passage? How does that uh, apply to us? Well, a couple things. He, he certainly is correcting their view of leadership. But as he corrects their view of leadership, he's sort of laying out some very important things for us all to consider with regard to Christian leadership. And if you were a leader, a Christian leader in any role, a leader in this church in some role, uh, might be a small group leader, uh, if you might be discipling someone, helping someone follow the Lord, coming alongside them and helping them follow the Lord as a disciple, so you might be discipling someone. You may be a parent, and thus, as a Christian parent, you're responsible to help, uh, help your children know the Lord. If you're in any role as a leader where your hands are in the soil of people's lives, like what he's talking about here, the, the principle that he emphasizes is so important for you and for me. Because the principle he's teaching here, it guards us from, on the one hand, arrogance as if we're doing some amazing thing and we're accomplishing some amazing thing. And it guards us on the other hand from despair as if we're an utter failure in everything that we are doing as disciples, Christian leaders, parents, small group leaders, uh, leaders of any sort in the church. The reality is that you, if you're responsible for people and you're, you're responsible to help them grow, you can plant seed. That is, you can communicate the gospel to them and uh, you can seek to model that and you can ask forgiveness when you fail to model that so that there's integrity in your example. So you can have a message uh, uh, that should be from the scripture and you, you can tr seek to accompany that message with a lifestyle. Um, you can water that. So once they believe, you can uh, then seek to encourage through prayer and exhortation and encouragement and warning and bringing scripture to bear and being a good listener and praying for them. Uh, the lights are going on for some of you right now as I talk about this. And so you, <laughs> I hope so. I really hope that was, met I don't know if somebody turned that or that was the Lord, but I hope that was, this is metaphorical, what's happening right now, because this is one of the light, if the, you, the lights go on in your soul on this one, it'll make a huge difference for you as a leader. So you can do all of those things, but only God can bring growth. Only God can. You can plant seeds all day long, but only God can take, make them take root and have life and grow into new lives. So that is, you can share the gospel with your friend. You can share the gospel with the person you brought to church, your family members. You can share the gospel with your children, but you cannot create new life in them. You can hinder gospel preaching by sharing the gospel with them and then living a life that's counterproductive and hypocritical and looks like it's going the totally different way. So it's confusing to them. You can sort of hinder them. Even there, you can't stop someone from believing. God can take the gospel. We want to be as good examples as we can. But you cannot 
is be the most godly person in the room, know the scripture better, and faithfully tell it to others better than anybody, and you cannot force new life. And then once someone becomes a Christian, uh, be it your kid, be it someone in your community group, uh, be it someone in the, in, the, in the church for the elders that oversee uh, the life of the church, uh, again, you can water, you can provide an environment for growth, you can provide opportunities for fellowship, you can provide opportunities to know and serve with other Christians, serving opportunities, growth opportunities, you can encourage, you can strengthen, you can help, you can come alongside, but you cannot decide for other people to grow as a disciple. You cannot. God alone brings the growth. And this is never an excuse for a parent, for a leader, to not be faithful as a, at planting seeds and watering seeds. And Paul worked hard. He says in other places, I work night and day. And he did it at great persecution. But not everyone that he preached the gospel to became a believer. And not every believer that he exhorted and encouraged grew and matured. Many of them left and walked away. Because God alone brings the growth. So it's never an excuse for laziness. Oh, God will do what he wants to do. No, it's never an excuse for laziness. But it is a reason that we realize who does the real work. And that, that means that leadership is always by faith. Parenting is always by faith. Discipling is always by faith. What do I mean? I mean that we must trust God and not our efforts. We must be faithful, but we never trust our faithfulness. We must trust God's faithfulness. We must work hard, labor hard, just as Paul did, share hard, live an example, be faithful, pray, but leave the results with God. So if there is tremendous fruit around us, if there is tremendous fruit around us, we have done all that we know to do, and our children know the Lord and are thriving, our community group is in revival. Our church is unbelievable what the Lord is doing. All this kind of, if all the best things happen, the person you disciple, you invest in them and you're going, wow, in about a year, they're more mature than you are. And you're gonna, everything we're doing is just, man, we've got a kingdom green thumb. Okay, just this is amazing. If that, if that happens, all the glory goes to God. You planted some seeds, but all you are is a menial servant, laborer out there planting some seeds. He gives a growth. All you are is out there doing your little watering. So at one level, that needs to be toned down and says, we're not great. He is. On the other hand, if you do all that you know to do, and none of us are perfect, but if you do in integrity the best you can and you repent for where you failed, and you do the best you can, and you share the gospel, and you share the gospel, and you try to model it, and you ask forgiveness when you fail, and they don't respond to the Lord. All you did was plant, and all the growth comes from him. And if you love someone in your small group, and you serve them, and you care about them, and you counsel them, and you provide for them, and they walk away from the faith, and they leave, and, the, and re, we reach out to them, but they ultimately choose on their own, then you have to say, God brings the growth, and I can't decide for that person. You can't despair. You can't be arrogant over here like I did it all, and then on the other hand, you can't live up here. I'm a total failure. Everything, I, oh, I'm miserable. You, you, we have to trust the Lord. It's by faith, whether it's going great or bad. And we have to realize the story's not over. As long as your child is living who is wandering, if you've got a wandering child who's a teenager, an adult, older adult, if you've got, a, you've got someone who's wandering, if, as long as they're alive, the story is not over. We keep praying. We keep watering. We pray for other people to come in and water what's already been planted. And we trust God's word won't return void, but it will bear fruit in their lives. And we pray. 
But we must not despair. We re- if we've done wrong, we repent. Ask forgiveness, but we must not despair. We must not give up. We must not say, I can't try. I'll never lead a group again. I'll never disciple someone again. I discipled them. I poured my life into them. And they ultimately walked back into the world. That's what happened with people that Paul discipled as well. He said, everybody's left me at one point in his ministry. So if Paul were to say, well, I guess I failed there and just shut it down. He's got a whole church here of wackos. I mean, respectfully, I say that. In Corinth, if Paul is like, oh, no, they're not doing very well. They don't like me. I must be a failure. No, he's writing them a letter before this. We've got this letter. He's sending Timothy. We're going to get another letter. He's going to keep watering, keep sowing, keep watering. He's not going to give up. He'll say, oh, Lord, these are your people. Bring growth. All I can do is pray and teach and model, but you must bring the growth. So he, he doesn't despair. He continues on. And on the other hand, he doesn't elevate himself. He says, hey, look, I'm getting off the platform, and you need to have a right view of me. I'm not the rock star. I'm the guy planting the seed. So he's, he's having to lower their estimation at one level. So this is so key for all kinds of leadership. And I know you know what I'm saying. I, I don't want to be misheard here. We must be faithful. The fact that God is sovereign and brings growth does not alleviate our responsibility for faithfulness, which is the next passage we'll show. But it does mean that we must be at a place where we can leave the results to him. And he is a good God who works in his people's life. And he is faithful. So we can serve in faith, with anticipation, and with joy. It also, this also affects how we view our leaders. I think the appropriate response to someone who's discipled you to your parents, if they were Christian, if you're a young person here and your parents are Christians raising you in the Lord, um, if, if, uh, if, you've had, if you've been helped by a pastor's counsel, teaching, ministry, leadership, equipping, whatever it is, I think this affects how we view. I think we are to be grateful. I don't think Paul's saying, don't be grateful for me, despise me, just mock me and hate me. He's not saying that. I think, I think it's appropriate to be grateful for anyone who has invested in us. I think it's appropriate to be respectful of anyone who's invested in us. I think it's appropriate to be responsive, you know, ultimately responsive. If somebody's giving us unbiblical counsel, we're not a responsive, but we should be leaning towards parents, leaders, folks who've invested in us in Christ. We should be responsive. But on the other hand, we must not put them on a throne. And, and we, we must see it is the God of the leader who has ultimately worked in our lives. We thank leaders, but we reserve praise and glory for God alone. We respect leaders, but we worship God. We stand in awe of God. So thank you, God, for using this person in our life. And and where this is really important and where I've seen uh, great damage done, not even by leaders necessarily, but sometimes people put a leader so much on a platform, uh, so much on a throne, there's undue respect, undue adulation. Well, so-and-so says, well, so-and-so, whatever they say, well, so-and-so. And then what happens when that leader, I've seen this in churches with pastors, when that leader either shows their humanity in some way, uh, but especially when that leader falls in, in, in you know, some significant way, sins in some significant way, maybe even disqualifies them, himself from his role, uh, then oftentimes that person becomes entirely disillusioned. I've seen that. And they're a train wreck. They're disillusioned because I invested everything in that leader and that leader let me down. And now, and they walk away. They leave the church. They're wounded. They're bitter. 
And, and oftentimes, it may have been the leader's fault. He may have cultivated that, but it may not have been his fault. It may have been the person's fault who idolized someone instead of thanking God for someone but worshiping God. God is on the throne, thankful for everybody, but, but I'm indispensable. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm dispensable. You're dispensable. I get those confused. We're all dispensable. God is the only one who brings the growth. So if I say, Paul planted, but Apollos brought all the growth, and then there's a problem with Apollos, I'm, I'm in trouble. I have to say that God is the one who brought the growth. So this affects how we view leaders. We should be grateful, or uh, we should be uh, respectful, and I think we should be leaning toward, as long as they're leading us with the scripture, we should be leaning towards them, uh, receptive, responsive kinds of people. But we should not idolize, enthrone, give undue undue uh, adulation towards because that is that is idolatry it's a dishonoring to the lord firstly and secondly it, it's a it's a pathway to great damage in our spiritual lives idolatry is always a crash and burn situation and it can it can happen with a person so you you get the point i've talked more than i wanted to or thought about on this so grow up and then he says after uh grow up he says look up we'll cover these next ones uh much more quickly. Wake up is the next one, because what he says next in verse 10 is, uh, he says, well, let's look at verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. Now he changes the metaphor. According to the grace, verse 10, of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. A reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So he's saying, look up, seeing the Lord who brings the growth. Now he's saying, wake up because what's being built will be evaluated. He changes. Now it's not a field. He says, you're like a building. And Jesus Christ is the foundation, and we're building on that foundation. The, the shape of the foundation, the strength of the foundation is Christ, but we're building up on that foundation. And he's saying the work of the leaders who build upon that foundation will be tested. And so he says, I'm a master builder, I'm a skilled master builder. I laid the foundation, that is, I preached Christ to you, and now we're building upon the foundation of Jesus and him crucified. And he's saying, you, those who are building, like there's these wisdom teachers coming in saying all kinds of stuff, look, it's all going to be tested because you can build with enduring materials or you can build with sorry materials that are very temporary. There's two types of building materials, and that's what he's talking about. He says you can build with gold, silver, and precious stones, that's enduring building materials. Or you can build on wood, uh, you can build on straw, you can build on hay, that sort of thing. And that's not enduring because he says there's coming a day, the day of the Lord, when there will be an evaluation of how everyone has built on this foundation. And it'll be like, he gives the example, it'll be like a testing with fire. And some of the materials would make it through fire. 
other material, so gold, you can put gold in the fire and it endures. You put straw in the fire and it'll be consumed. What does that mean? It does not last. It was not enduring. It was not quality. So you, say you can build with enduring quality materials or you can build with things that are not enduring. They will all be tested. God will evaluate. And if you build with stuff that does not last, it's not like you lost your salvation. He's not saying that, but he's saying all that you gave yourself to in your building will be, will be gone. You'll, you'll be saved. He says you'll escape, but it'll be as if what you invested in wasn't enduring, which is a scary thing. So he's saying, wake up to how you are building. Now, let me say what this passage doesn't mean, and then I'll say what it does. This is not talking about purgatory. Some have thought, well, this is, this is a sign that after, you know, there's an evaluation and certain sins you have need to be burned up or something like that. So some people have referred to this. That, that's not what it's talking about. This is, this is addressing leaders and how they built, how leaders build God's church, and ultimately how we all contribute to the building of God's church. But that, that's what this is talking about. And he's saying, what are these materials? Well, we know Christ is the foundation. And if we look at the first two chapters, if you haven't been here for the first two chapters, I'm going to review real quickly. But if we look at the first two chapters and how Paul leads and how the Corinthians want him to lead, we see a real distinction. Here's Paul's building materials. This is gold. This is silver. This is precious stones. This endures. This will build up the house of God. One, it's all about Jesus for him. He's always connecting everything to Christ. He's always emphasizing Christ crucified. And because he's emphasizing the crucifixion of Christ, he's emphasizing the grace of God. Your relationship with God is based on what Christ has done. You're to be more excited about what he has done in his death and his resurrection. Chapter 15, he says, that is of utmost importance. I delivered to you of utmost importance the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins. So he emphasizes to them the grace of God, what Christ has done, looking away from ourselves, looking to Christ. And because he emphasizes the crucifixion of Christ, that informs his leadership. So he says in chapter two, I came to you in weakness. Paul is not a leader promoting his strength. He's promoting, he's serving out of weakness. And he says, out of my weakness, God is at work. And that's so that your faith would not be in me, but would be in God. So he comes celebrating his weakness, announcing it in chapter two. That is gold. A leader, a parent, a small group leader, a worship leader, a children's ministry leader, a disciple, discipleship leader, any leader that is covering their weaknesses and is only promoting their strengths, that's wood, hay, and stubble. But if we promote, if we walk out of our weaknesses, if we're honest as Paul is, he said, I came to you in fear and trembling, chapter two. That is gold. If we live in that way, then, it's, then, then, then the glory goes to God. The work is God's. The evidence of, of activity is God's. He leads in weakness. He builds with gratitude. He starts the letter to a messed up church, thanking God for them and honoring them. I see God at work in all the gifts in you as a church. He leads with appreciation. He doesn't start with what's wrong. He starts with how good God has been. That's how he leads. Gratitude for the grace of God. That's gold, silver, and precious stones. That's how he leads. He leads with unity. Hey, the one who sows, and we just read it, and the one who waters, they're one. Apollos and I, we're on the same team. It's God who brings the growth. So he leads with unity. He says, don't say, don't quarrel. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. Don't do that. You are to be called together. We're all together in Jesus. So where, there is a, where there's an environment of unity, that is, that, that is gold. Boasting in Christ. He says, I don't boast in man. 
I boast in Christ. My boast is not my accomplishments. It's not my church's accomplishments. It's not my resume. My boast is in what Jesus has done. I can't get my eyes off him. I can't stop talking about him. That's gold. That's silver. That's precious stone. See, Paul is building this way. He's built, this is the key for leadership. He's building people into the foundation of Jesus. He's not building people into the builder himself. It's, it's not, he's building into Christ and him. That's what we're building upon. That's where the attention is drawn. It's not to what I'm doing over here that's everything. It's him who brings the growth. So he avoids wood, hay, and stubble. What is that? Well, in his context, wood, hay, and stubble, they want people to come in and give polished rhetoric. They want philosophy. They want people to come in who give like lifestyle, how to live uh, with their understanding of philosophically built, how to live a, uh, live a life of wisdom from the world's perspective, wisdom without Christ, wisdom without God, wisdom without the crucifixion. They, they want the how-tos of life, how to live life in a meaningful way. That's what they want, and, and that's what he is not bringing. They want style over substance. They want flash over depth. They want a momentary experience over an enduring knowledge of Jesus. So translated today, Paul is not giving them self-help coaching techniques on how to live a successful life now and call that the gospel. That's not the gospel that he preached. How you can just get everything in your life perfect now. That, he talks about weakness in chapter 2. He gets it early. He talks about that. He is not triumphalistic. In his terms, they want something that's triumph now. And he is not doing that. He is not preaching a message. He's not saying, this is the good news. You can have a problem-free life. You can have a sickness-free life. You can be financially independent and have prosperity in all your financial dealings. You can have a relationship-challenged-free life. You can have relationships that are just glorious and perfect all the time. That message is, that's from someone who's never read the New Testament. Because that is not what's going on in the New Testament, what I just described. Paul's getting beaten. Paul's got people mad at him. Paul's, you know, at sea, he's shipwrecked and spends a night and day at sea. He doesn't have enough to eat at points. He's got the burden of the church on him at all times. And yet he is free and joyful. He's learned how to be content in every situation because of the gospel. His circumstances are worse than anyone's in the room. And yet I guarantee you his joy excels all of ours. Because of who, what he knows in Christ, this, this is wood, hay, and stubble. Getting it all now as if that's even possible. The message of the prosperity gospel, that is wood, hay, stubble. It does not last because it does not link us to a crucified Messiah. It links us to, it says the future kingdom has come now in perfection. The kingdom has come now, but not in fullness. That comes when Christ comes. He, he called them to a life of humility. That's gold arrogance and pride and what I've done and I'm right and I'm with this guy over here that's wood hay and stubble that all gets burned up because it's not connected to Jesus that's what he's saying don't build that way he didn't build on fads the wisdom gurus they built on fads that's not Paul's deal he didn't appeal to people's selfishness I mean take up your cross and follow me is not an appeal to people's idols so Jesus says, Jesus says, you want to follow me? Take your cross, die to yourself. That does not appeal to your selfishness and your self-promotion. It does not appeal to comfort as far as I can tell. 
take up your cross and die is a call to joy, but it's a call to joy in Jesus that involves challenge. That's, what, that's gold right there, follow Christ. He does not appeal to their selfishness. He does not promote himself. He was building with materials that last because they draw attention to Jesus and not the preacher, not the hearer either. The attention is on Jesus. And, and that's, that's the building differences. That not only applies to the builders, though, he then says it applies to everybody. Because he says everyone who builds, their building, is the way they build is going to be evaluated. Verse 16, now he's talking to everybody. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Here's what he's saying here. Look, Corinthians I'm going to be evaluated and how I'm building. Apollos will be evaluated. Whoever the elders are in Corinth will be evaluated. Uh, whatever leadership role you have, how you build into others will be evaluated. But here's what he's saying. Here's what applies to everybody. You are the temple of God. You're the building. The church is the building. The spirit of God dwells in you. And here's what he's saying to the Corinthians. You are on the pathway to destroying what God is building. Because you are at odds, you are bickering, you are arguing, you're fighting against one another about your leaders, you're promoting yourself by being with Peter or Paul or whatever the case is, whoever you, whatever team you're on. And he's saying, wake up, Corinthians, to what you are doing. You are not just harming others. This is why unity in the church is so important. Because when we are disunified, when we slander others, when we gossip about others, when we're self-righteous towards others, when we're exclusive and not inclusive of others in the body of Christ, when we act this way, it's not just that we are sinning against that person, which is serious enough. He says, you're destroying the temple that God is building. It would be like, the picture would be like, walking up to the Old Testament temple with a sledgehammer and just starting to whack the walls. It'd be like he's walking in and starting to whack the altar that they're offering sacrifices on because the New Testament temple is the people of God. And when you harm God's people, when you don't build unity with God's people, you're harming God's temple. And he says, if you do that, God will destroy those who destroy his temple. God's temple is holy and you are that, you are that temple. The people in this room are holy. You say, well, you, no, I saw some of these people in the last week, and that's not the word I would use. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, I get that. We're sinful. But the Bible says we're set apart. We're justified in Christ, set apart as holy. And God is working in his people. It's the most holy place on earth. What's the most holy place on earth? It's where the people of God have gathered. That's holy. The people of God that are set apart. So he's telling the Corinthians, look, wake up to how God uses leaders Wake up to the God will evaluate leaders, but wake up to God will evaluate you as well, is what he says. So he's really speaking to them in a sober way. And then the last idea is in the last paragraph. This is about wising up, meaning getting wisdom, getting wisdom. Look up to the Lord. He's the one doing the church, building the church. Wake up that we will be evaluated for our part and wise up, live with wisdom, verse, six to, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. What's he saying? 
Well, he's saying, first of all, there's self-deception going on. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. The Corinthians are fundamentally deceived because they think they're wise. And Paul says, you're acting like unbelievers. So they're really not. But, but they're, they're self-deceived. And Paul says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Be, be a fool in the world's eyes, which is believe the gospel, build upon the gospel. A fool lives counterculturally. He's calling them to a kind of foolishness, which is a fool for Christ. He's saying, let him become a fool that he may become wise. That is, reject the wisdom of the world and embrace God's wisdom. A fool is someone who says, by the world standards, foolishness is, I live for a crucified Messiah. I'm living my life for a man I've never met in the flesh personally, who died 2,000 years ago, a shameful death, who was executed in a criminal way, died uh, in a cursed way in that culture. It's how it was viewed. And I believe that man was God and that he was dying for my sins and that he rose again. And I'm living, I'm putting, I've put all my chips in. I'm living fully. I want to live my life. I want to live my life fully for him. That that is counterculture and that is foolishness to the world. Especially if you say that's the only way that's the only truth, then it's especially foolish and you don't get invited to parties. So that's, (laughs) at least if you talk that way, you don't. I'm leading out of my weakness is what Paul says. That's foolishness. The world says, I got to show you my strengths. I've got to show you my power. I got to show you my ability. You've got to have confidence in what I can do for you. I want to sell myself. I want to cover my weakness. Paul says, I'm going to lead with my weaknesses. I'm going to say, hey guys, I came to you. I was in fear and trembling coming and bringing the gospel. Paul leads with that. That's foolishness to the world. That's the wisdom of God. I'm leading as a servant and only God changes people. Now in our culture, servant leadership has caught on to some degree. I mean, a certain kind of servant leadership is is respected and embraced to be sure. Um, But ultimately it's saying a servant leadership that is serving Jesus, serving people because we're serving Jesus and that God does all the change. He gets all the glory. Trusting God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. He says, uh, verse 20, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. It means useless. Those who proclaim to know it all, those who proclaim to be gurus, those who proclaim to have the human nature figured out and all the solutions for human nature figured out individually, politically, whatever, uh, their ideas are useless apart from God. Now, God, in his common wisdom, there is truth to be found uh, in the world, but even that is a truth that's given by God. It all ultimately comes back to him. So that's what he's saying. Live is that kind of life as a fool. Don't deceive yourself and buy into strength or the world's wisdom, the world's knowledge. Don't buy into that. Buy into the model that I'm teaching and that I'm leading and buy into the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he closes this chapter with verse 21. So don't boast in man for obvious reasons. We've been to the whole chapter is about not boasting in man. The first three chapters really are all about don't boast in men, boast in God. For all things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, all of them are yours. Isn't this something? He's saying, why are you saying I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos? If we really understand the model of leadership right, you don't belong to Paul. Paul belongs to you, is what he says to them. Paul belongs to you. Paul is there to serve you. Apollos is there to help you grow. Well, why are you having this undue allegiance and worship of them? They're there serving you. All, matter of fact, all things are yours, he says. Why would you boast in man when, the, when all things have been given to you? So why would you pick out a man and boast in them? He says, whether it's them, whether it's life, 
or death. Now, how is life and death ours? Well, because Christ owns them all. And he says in verse 23, you are Christ's. So ultimately, the world belongs to Jesus. Our life and our future and our uncertainties belong to Jesus. Our death belongs to Jesus. Our present or our future, all of them are ours. They ultimately belong to him. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. He's the Lord over everything. And if you're rightly related to him, then everything you need in the universe belongs to you because you're connected to the one who rules over all. So whatever you need will be provided by him. Everything is at your disposal as he directs, as he gives. You don't have to follow this one guy. He's there to serve you. You follow his Lord, who's the Lord over him. He's saying, you look up, man, you have a way too small of a vision of the Christian life. You think it's just, I'm on this team over here and I'm fighting this battle. No, the universe is yours because you are in Christ and it's all used to, by Christ for your good and for his glory. I think a verse that, because it kind of kind of be strange, that, well, all things are mine, what does that mean? I think a verse that really puts us in perspective, it mirrors this, is Romans 8. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So what he's saying is if you believe in Jesus and he died for your sins, he's given you new life, he will take care of everything for you. He will move heaven and earth if it's necessary. All the planets are at his disposal. All, uh, every person is at his disposal. All knowledge is at his disposal. All resources are at his disposal. So they're really all yours. If you have Christ, you have all things because in Christ, he rules over all things and he will graciously give you all things, whatever you need that he directs and he designs by his goodness, and it will all be for your good. So he's saying, man, you are fighting this little bitty turf war. I'm looking at the universe and saying, it's all Christ and I'm his, so I am completely taken care of. That's a big view. That's a really big view of Christianity. So grow up, he says to the Corinthians, stop fighting about uh, what another look to Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Wake up, he's saying, wake up to what leaders are. They're less important than you think. In another way, they're more important than you think because they're bringing truth that God uses to change you. They're bringing care that God uses to change you. So have a right perspective that God brings all the growth and thank him for that. Work hard, but trust him. Lean on him. Don't be proud of your accomplishments, but don't despair. Trust him, is what he says. Wake up. Wake up as well. All, everything will be evaluated. Build with gold, silver, and precious stones. Build with the gospel and all the attitudes that the gospel brings of humility and love and joy and gratitude and unity and all these kinds of things. Build that way. And then wise up. Don't give in to the wisdom of the world. Give in to the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God is that if Jesus died for your sins, he, if he's taking care of your biggest problem, he can take care of every smaller problem in your life. Trust him. He's taking care of it all. He has got you. He's got it all, and he's got you. He's got your leaders. He's got those you lead. He's got your kids. He brings growth. He is what we need. He's all that we need. So he's calling us at the end of this chapter to look up to Christ, and Christ is God's. Lift your eyes up to him and find joy and hope and peace, love. All good, every good and perfect gift is in him, and he wants us to look the same place he's calling the right things. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.